That's my favorite part. It's <laughs> the exact reaction we were hoping for. We're going to answer that question. That's what we're doing in this uh, uh, series. In, if I have a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, and I like to cause uh, pain in worship. <laughs> um, so that was my idea. We're in a series uh, in Advent where we're talking about all I want for Christmas. Um, before we get into that, I do want to give you just a brief update on the church as we continue to work towards the end of 2018. You know, if, if you're new with us or if, if, if you haven't uh, heard this before, um, 2018 is the first uh, full year we've existed as a church. So um, we launched in uh, fall of 2017. And so 2018 is kind of like our, uh, you know, inaugural year and we're getting to the end of it and we're looking forward to what God's going to do in 2019. So um, in the past, we had a, we've used a really simple vision statement that's created some language around uh, who we are. Um, it's a, it says, a, a neighborhood church with a citywide impact. This has uh, been on shirts and on our website and stuff. And the idea is that when we launch, we really just want to be a church in a neighborhood, uh, but for the city. A church people could walk to, but we're engaged in things um, uh, and work that's significant to the city of Columbus and uh, citywide initiatives is just what led us to work around infant mortality and Celebrate One and some of the stuff we're doing in Franklinton. And this uh, vision statement has served us well this past year. We've, uh, we've become, in many ways, a neighborhood church of them that people walk to, actually. There's a number of people, maybe not in this weather, but in other seasons of the year, walk to church. But we've also sensed that um, our church is more than that. Or at least that this vision statement doesn't quite encompass who we are. It leaves, um, it leaves stuff out. Um, people who are part of our church, but who don't live specifically in any of the neighborhoods we do ministry. Um, and so we felt at times it felt a little exclusive. So, like, for example, we're working towards launching a free store in Franklinton. And, and we have some ideas in the next year, in 2019, that what that might look like. And, and we actually hope that that itself will eventually birth a new worshiping community for people who are part of the free store. And, and then we have vision for what might happen in this particular location and what God is doing here and then maybe down the road in other places. And so um, we've just felt that the vision might be a little limiting. So we don't have a new vision statement to share with you per se, but we do have some phrases that we're working with. We really do believe that language shapes communities. You know, like the language we choose to use, it matters. And so we're, we've got some things that we're kind of like playing around with and working with. And I want to share a few of those with you. Um, if you don't find this interesting, we'll be done before you know it. And, uh, but for the rest of you, here you go. Here's one, one line that, you know, I don't know how I feel about it, but it's something we're playing around with is uh, just kind of to answer the question, what do we do? And one of the things that we strive to do, I mean, I don't know if we're always doing this well, but we want to help people grow closer to God. We mean that in a very big sense, from everything we do to serving at the free store, to serving our neighbors, to worship, to small groups, to um, whatever. We want all of those things to help all of us in all areas of our life, those who are here and those who aren't, to experience God. And maybe that means learning to trust God more, you know? Maybe it means learning to trust God more by giving generously. That's something that happens when you give generously. You learn to trust God more. Or maybe it just means opening yourself up to the reality that there might be a force in this universe that you don't quite understand, you know? But that's a step towards God, not a way, I think. So we want to expand, you know, people's 
awareness of God and relationship with God. So that's one phrase we're playing around with. Here's another one. This one's actually currently on our website. We're doing church differently. I'm trying to answer the question, you know, like what, who are we? What do we do? Um, I like this because it gives us permission to do things differently, you know. Um, we don't have to be like any other church that exists. We started a new church for a reason. We wanted to be different. I don't like this because it really just raises more questions than answers, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. Um, in fact, we just done a podcast for the Tri-Village Chamber, and she went to our website and said, your website says we're doing church differently. And I wanted to say, well, it says that right now. We just put that up. I'm probably going to take it down. We're still playing around. But she asked, what does that mean? And so then we gave an answer. And I'm like, you know, this just raises more questions than otherwise. But, but it does give us permission to say, you know what, everyone, this is how it should work. And we say, well, maybe not. That's how everyone else does it. Maybe we don't do it that way. Maybe we do it differently. And I think we need want to create space for that kind of permission to think differently and to do differently and to be a church that's different. So there's some, there's some value there. Finally, there's another phrase that kind of is a wordier version of our original vision statement that opens it up a little bit. Um, it simply says, our vision is to become a network of small faith communities engaged in bold acts of faith and mission. I like this because it captures the idea that we're small on purpose. You know, in the American Christian culture of church, small is not usually synonymous with good. Uh, the expectation is to be a large church and to grow large. So the fact that we're small, someone might come in and say, wow, this is really small. Um, well, what if we could be small on purpose? And what if small doesn't mean we're not doing stuff? What if small doesn't mean that we don't have powerful worship and that we're engaged in missions? So the idea that small is good, that you actually get to know people. Um, it's, and this is maybe a, a strength of ours and a weakness. It's really hard to come to church here and not get noticed um, and not meet someone. In fact, if, if you're having a really bad day, um, and this is based on a true story, but if you're having a really bad day and you're like, I really don't want to talk to anyone, this is a terrible church to come to. Um, and there's many other churches you could go, walk in, watch the show, and, and leave. And, and it's a really safe place to never be noticed. Um, that's not us. And so small is, is sometimes really good. But what does it mean to not just be small but to grow and to provide that kind of small community to other places and still be engaged in bold mission that's courageous and uh, risk-taking? So those are just some of the things we're talking about. If you have any strong opinions about who we are and words that come to mind, I think language is important, and I'd love to hear them. If this raises any strong feelings, um, uh, whether positive or negative, I'd love to hear them. And this is just a conversation we're having as we kind of figure out what it means to be a church and what it means to help other people understand who we are and whether this is a good place for them. So that's a little bit of who we are and what we're striving for and some of the language we're, we're playing around with. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the teaching. God, as we... Uh, approach Christmas, uh, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And, and I also know that it means a lot, both good and bad, to many of us here. That it can be stressful, it can be painful, it can be exciting. So Lord, as we approach this uh, season, this holiday, that our, that our church, that the um, the church universal through the ages has carved out in the calendar and said, this is when we're going to celebrate you coming to earth, the incarnation, that we might um, approach it with you in mind and that you might meet us in this time, regardless of the fun traditions.
that may or may not have anything to do with you, Lord. We just ask that in the midst of all of that and all of the joy and all of the pain that we might meet you. In your name, amen. Going to bed on Christmas Eve might have been the most difficult thing in my childhood. (laughs) I mean, I remember to this day, I don't know if anyone's with me on this, just laying there thinking, I'm never going to fall asleep. I'm just, I'm, there's no way I'm going to fall asleep. And all I wanted to do was to fall asleep. Because if you fall asleep, the morning comes much quicker, doesn't it? So I'm smart enough to know that. But I'm so excited that the, I just, it's not going to happen. And of course, eventually, I do. I fall asleep. But never for very long. I was one of seven kids. And Christmas was a big deal. And uh, because I'm one of seven and we're in a four-bedroom house, four of us, you know, slept in the same room. And so it only took one of us getting up for the rest of us to get up. So Christmas mornings would start at like four or five in the morning. That was us sleeping in. Like that was like, okay, it's three o'clock. We certainly can't get out this early, so we have to wait. Um, my sister Janelle, of course, she was, uh, she, she would be, wake up with the earliest group. Janelle is a person uh, with the most childlike wonder to this day. I mean, she can get excited about the most mundane things and they make them and make them magical. So Christmas, which is already magical, like you can imagine how that is a holiday for her and her imagination, you know, it, it, you just can't match it with even the greatest storyteller. So the four of us younger boys would be right there with her. Um, but we couldn't go downstairs. We had to wait for our parents to go downstairs. So we'd sit on the steps. Anyone, anyone else have to sit on the steps for a while? Here's the thing. I remember sitting on the steps, waiting to go downstairs better than I remember opening presents. Like, it's a, it's a memory, in, like, it's ingrained, like, the anticipation, the longing, the one time where, like, for some reason our siblings aren't arguing or getting upset with you, like, we're, and we're together, and we're hanging out, and we're sitting there. Um, and, and that's interesting that I remember that actually better than presents, so we'll get to that maybe a little later, but... Now, my sister Julia, she, she would be the last to get up. In fact, one Christmas morning, she decided she was going to take a shower before we opened presents. Like, how is that even possible? Like, you know how much more time that adds between waking up and opening presents when, like, especially my sister is going to take a shower? It's not like one of the boys are taking a shower. That's like three minutes. Like, one of the women are going to take a shower? And... I could not imagine. One Christmas, I actually remember my parents decided we were going to eat breakfast before opening the presents. I was like, oh my, this is like, this is falling apart. How is this? Why would you ever do that? And here's the thing I'm sure Alyssa's gonna like make me do all of these things before we open presents Christmas morning. But so she's hearing it now, my expectation, so she can, she can process that. <laughs> if you haven't, I love Christmas presents. I love everything about Christmas presents. And, and, and there's a sense that when I got older, I started to not like Christmas presents. I kind of felt guilty about them, especially as I kind of like took my faith seriously and I started following Jesus. And you read a lot of stuff about not being you know, selfish. I mean, that's a, big, that's a big part of our faith and not being materialistic or you know, consumer driven. So I felt a little bit of guilt around the whole idea of buying presents and wanting presents even. Because there's a sense that, you know, and I don't know if anyone's told you this before, but Christmas isn't your birthday. 
I know it's hard to hear, but it's shame. And when I re- realized that, there was some guilt or shame or wrestling with the idea of Christmas presents. But more recently, I've realized that the things I love about Christmas presents isn't bad. And, and that it doesn't take away from Jesus at all or, or what Jesus taught us or that there's actually something really beautiful about it. And, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a case this morning before we even get started why I think Christmas presents are the best thing ever. Here's one reason. It's one of the only seasons or, or holidays where everyone can get anyone a present. I mean, you think about other holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs, what, they all might involve presents, but usually it's only for a select person or select group of people, like a couple or, or an individual. And each one, and in each one, the person who gives the gifts might not be the person who receives them. So for someone's birthday, for someone's wedding, there's a giver and a receiver, but not with Christmas. Christmas opens it up for anyone. You can give to anyone you want, and you might receive from anyone who wants to give. I mean, there's just, there's, is there any other holiday of, of gift giving like that? And for me, there is something terribly beautiful about this mutual gift giving. It feels like, it feels more beautiful, more true, more like the kingdom of God. Giving more like the world as it should be, where we are all equally and mutually giving and receiving to each other. And I love that. And so for me, Christmas is really one of the only times where this kind of mutual generosity is made into a ritual that people engage in in their families and in communities. It's one of the only times where this mutual generosity is this ceremony that thousands of people engage in around the world. But that's not all. Christmas is also one of the only times where you get to see the present days and days before you open it, at least, at least in my family. So you, uh, you know, almost every other holiday, uh, birthday, whatever, there's like minutes, seconds, sometimes hours, if it's like a wedding or an anniversary maybe, where you see the present and then you open it. You know what I mean? Like at least in my world, if you got a present for your birthday, the, the time between seeing the present and opening it was, was pretty short, a matter of seconds. But not with Christmas. Weeks leading up to Christmas, um, presents would start appearing under the tree. And my little imagination would just awaken when I saw a box with my name on it. Of all the boxes, there's one for me. And what, what would it be? What could it be? What's in it? I absolutely love that mystery and that suspense. It's so much fun. And it's unlike birthdays where time, you know, advents very quickly. And I think it captures this idea around our faith, especially around the Advent season of faith. See, we believe in a God who, who gives more than we could ever imagine, but often in ways that are mysterious and that require us to wait. You know, like we believe in a generous God who makes us wait, very much like presence under a tree. We know the gift is there. It's just not the right time. And I didn't realize this as a kid, but I think that's what makes Chris, made Christmas so special for me. Once uh, I have more fond memories of waiting for those presents than I actually do of opening them. And really, that's what season of Advent's all about. Advent is this season of waiting. And not just for Christmas. We talked about it in our liturgy. Not just this idea of waiting for the birth of Christ, but it's this further waiting of Christ came once, Christ is coming again. And it's this longing and waiting for things to be made right, 
for the world to be made right, that someday good will come and God will conquer over evil. And those who are proud and held up in high lofty places, this is Mary's song when she finds out she's born. Those who are proud and lifted up high, God will lower. And those who are low, God will lift. And oh, wouldn't the day when that happens, it's this longing. So I'm a fan of Christmas presents. But I also understand that when it comes to Christmas, uh, specifically presents and gift giving, not all is well. So over the last couple of months, uh, over the last month, we asked you all to offer your thoughts on Christmas. We asked a variety of questions like, what do you like about Christmas? What do you find annoying? And when we asked you what you found annoying or painful or difficult, almost half of you wrote a similar answer. Now, this wasn't multiple choice. We had some multiple choice on there. But with the question, it was fill in the blank. You could write whatever you wanted. And almost half of you wrote something along the lines of gift giving, materialism, and consumerism. And I don't blame you. Because I love Christmas presents, yet, and I love this ritual. I love this tradition. But I can see it. And I feel it sometimes. Something about giving gifts in our culture, it doesn't always feel good or enjoyable. And I've heard from many of you, it becomes a stressful thing. It's a thing that's a burden in your life. Um, there's a lot of expectation around it, isn't there? It's, and in ways, it's becoming one of the things that people least like about the holidays because of this pressure, because of this expectation. Um, kids in, at an increasing age just worry about what they're getting, and there's too much money that's spent on presents that could be going to better causes, and we're buying things that nobody wants with money we don't have for things that are going to end up in storage. So what's the point? So as an avid fan of gift giving, friends, this is unacceptable. <laughs> so I want to spend today offering a different perspective on gift giving. I'm going to offer some practical things, uh, advice. These are coming more from Joe as as a, as a lover of Christmas, and less from Joe as your pastor. So I'm just going to say that up, up front ahead of time. So this is, this is the Joe kid Christmas advice. Um, and, and there's some sp- theology sprinkled in there as well. But, but here's my first piece of advice. This might actually surprise you. Here's my first piece of advice to reclaim Christmas gift giving. Um, and uh, it's, it's this. If it's become an unenjoyable, toxic, or burdensome to you, stop doing it. I want you to think about this for a second. This is bold. But if you don't enjoy gift giving, if it's become a stress, don't do it. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that before. You don't have to buy gifts at Christmas. It's really, actually really, really, really important that you hear this. If you want to enjoy gift giving, you have to first realize it's not something you have to do. You don't have to do it for your kids. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. Now, if you do that and then tell a bunch of people it's because your pastor told them, they will think you're in a cult. <laughs> so know that ahead of time. But I'm telling you, regardless, you, don't have to, you do not have to buy presents. And I know many of you disagree with me because of all the expectation and pressure around it. But you don't. You don't have to, buy, you don't have to get anyone anything if you don't want to. Paul, um, in fact, taking a Christmas off and not getting presents will is something I recommend on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, I would say at least every five years, your family should just not buy presents for each other. I think it's a really healthy thing to do. We did it. It wasn't my idea. 
wasn't the, you know, the spiritual, you know, pastor suggesting this. It wasn't me. It was my brother. And he was in this uh, season of life. He was trying to simplify him and his wife. They were trying to get rid of clutter. And they just said, what if we just did something else? Instead of buying gifts, let's, let's pull our money and fly our sister home um, uh, from Arizona. And, or let's, let's host a pancake breakfast at the church, at my parents' church. You know, just let's do something else with, if we want to spend the money. But let's not do gifts. And so we took off. Was it last Christmas? Two Christmases ago, we just took it off, and we said we weren't going to do it. And then me and Alyssa did the same thing. We just didn't buy presents. And um, it was a shift for me. It was almost painful for me because I really liked it, but it was so good, and it was really healthy um, to realize you don't have to do this. It makes it more enjoyable. Here's one of the things that Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians. He's, he's talking about giving. We looked at this passage in part um, a couple weeks ago. He says this. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to suggest today that it says that God loves a cheerful giver. I think I read that, and I think, well, I should be happier about giving. <laughs> like, there's this, like, sense of guilt, like, oh, I should really just be happier about giving. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, like, you should give what's in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because if you give like that, you will be a cheerful giver. And God wants you to enjoy this. That giving is itself a gift. And if you do it out of this sense of pressure or this sense of expectation, it's not a good thing. And so to be able to give, and this goes beyond Christmas presents. This is the giving that you give to churches or charities or to nonprofit work that you're passionate about or to the stranger in the corner. You give out of a sense of expectation. The joy is sapped out of it. But if you give because it's what you want to do and you know you don't have to, do it. So that's what I challenge you. I, I, I challenge you, you know, take a... Take a Christmas off. It's probably too late this year, but in the future, I'd, I'd put that on your calendar. I'd put that on your radar as a family or as an individual. Say, I'm going to, every so often, we're just not going to give gifts on Christmas. You know, we might go volunteer to uh, sponsor a homeless meal, or we might, you know, pay for a family member to fly home, or we might, you know, throw a bigger Christmas party and put the money there, but we're just not going to, we're not going to buy gifts. Um, just tell me, and, and um, if people think you're crazy, just tell me your pastor told him to do it. It'll go over really well. But what we should never do is allow external pressure, and there's a lot around Christmas time, external pressure to influence the way we give. Um, during the early church, it was really common for people moved by the Holy Spirit and this new faith community to sell everything they have and, and, and give it to the community, which they would then use for the poor and care for each other. Um, in fact, Acts 2 says it like this. He says, all the believers, this is the very birth of the church, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In other words, they shared everything they had, and they sold property and their possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. So they sold everything. This was the common thing in the early church. They sold, and they gave to one another. And it became so common... And in a sense, this is really beautiful. And some people are like, man, wouldn't it be great to go back to that? And what would it look like to be that generous, to really, you know, be the rich young ruler who actually sells everything and gives to the poor? But there was one problem. So many people were doing it that it created an unhealthy expectation for everyone else to do the same. So much so that in the early church, in Acts chapter 5, just a couple chapters later, there was this couple, and they decided to follow suit. And they're going to sell everything they have and give. But they had one problem. They didn't want to. They wanted to give, but they didn't want to give everything. So this is what they do. 
they allow that expectation and that pressure in the early church, and they live into that. They lean into that pressure, and they lie about it. So they sell everything. They, they sell this piece of property, and they go to the church leaders and say, here is the money from the property, except for it was only about half of it. And they hold on to the rest. And then, this is a very good Christmas story, by the way. They're struck down dead. <laughs> it's a very strange story in the book of Acts. We're not going to dig into that at this point. But there is, there is, you know, this is a significant story in the early church. And, and when you hear the story, like, they sold this property and they didn't give everything. And so they were struck down dead. You're almost, you're, it's the temptation to walk away and say, well, they should have gave everything. But that's not what the apostles say. The apostles say this in Acts chapter 5. It says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you do such a thing? I'm suggesting the pressure made them do it. There might have been other things going on in their heart and in their mind. But what made you do such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. The moral of this story is really simple. God wants us to be generous, but in this weird sort of way, God has put us stewards over our resources, and we have some say in how we're generous. And the worst thing you can do is allow outside pressure, outside expectation, manipulation, whatever, to make you give dishonestly. Now, saying you're giving 100% and only giving 50%, maybe that's different than giving out of obligation, but I think it actually stems from a lot of the same unhealthy motivations. So God does. He wants us to be generous. But friends, we don't have to give. We do need to be generous, and we need to work on that. And if you don't, if you don't like being generous at all, that's something I'm going to tell you right now. God wants to change in your heart. Because it changes us as people. But giving a specific amount at a specific time to a specific person, to a specific organization, God doesn't have a lot of rules around that, except for the 10% tithe. We're not going to talk about it today. But like generosity above and beyond is not meant to be under compulsion. And so if you want to take a Christmas off from giving gifts, there's nothing wrong with that. And I hope that you feel like you have that kind of freedom. So here's the second piece of advice I'm going to share. Less is more. You know, gifts at Christmas time especially is rooted all the way back into the Christmas story. And the story, of course, if, even if you didn't grow up in the church, we know this. There was these three men known as magi, known as kings, known as wise men. But they were men who were philosophers from the east, and they were traveled looking for the king. The king that was promised to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And so they traveled probably for months and they, they're looking for this king specifically. They tell Herod they're looking for the king because they have gifts, and they want to give these gifts, and they want to worship this new king. Now, the gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I think there's some things we can learn about how the wise men give gifts. Each of these gifts were fitting for a king. And if you dig into it more, they weren't just for a king. They had a few other purposes as well. So gold, of course, was the, the stuff of royalty. Gold was the stuff of royalty, and so to give gold to someone um, was the type of gift that would be appropriate for a, a relationship with a king, you know, so you gift towards a king. Frankincense, though, was a perfume or an incense used in temple worship. So in the ancient temple system, uh, incense would be lit as a sign of worship. It, the aroma would float through the air and make its way to God, and it was this act of worship. Um, and frankincense was one of those uh, incense that was used. And then myrrh was used in, in embalming people. It, it would have been an appropriate gift for a king because it was also just a perfume, but one of its other uses was embalming people. So here you see these gifts 
They mean something. They represent Jesus as Christ, uh, as king, as priest, and as savior. These, these, these gifts meant something, not only to who Jesus was as a child, but who he might become. It's given to Jesus that first Christmas were directly tied to his identity, his purpose, and his future. Now, I'm not suggesting that you bring your children an embalming kit for Christmas. You're going to die someday, young child. I mean, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a weird thing to give to Jesus. Yeah, Lessa didn't like that joke. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that, that you give a toy that represents what you want your child to be, you know, like, like in some sort of passive-aggressive way. Like, you're going to be a nurse someday. Here's your nurse play kit. But I am suggesting that maybe there's a way to think of gifts less about what they cost or how many they are and more about how you know someone. That, that we give less gifts with greater meaning. And, and that's hard, um, because here's the problem with the holidays. It's a time when family gets together. And one of the things that someone in our small group said this week, um, the problem with gift giving and family is you often don't know your extended family very well. Oftentimes there's like a, people are living spread out a lot more than they used to, so you don't know them real well. But... Um, there's still a lot of expectation from them, especially around sometimes gift giving. And that's why actually many gifts from extended families will be out of place or rooted not in who you're becoming, but who you were. It's like when your aunt will get you that toy elephant because four years ago you were really into elephants and she has no idea that you don't like elephants anymore and you're totally into race cars. That didn't really happen, I promise. But, you know, how many times have you gotten a gift from this, like, extended relative that kind of like, oh, like, that's not really my thing anymore. You obviously don't know me. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of times where I've gotten gifts like that. And, and so here, here's what I want to suggest. Once again, this is coming from someone who loves Christmas presents. Don't give gifts to your extended family. They will think you're crazy. Um, it might cause some problems, um, especially if you tell them it's because of your church or your pastor. But who cares? Christmas isn't about gifts. Now, I'm not saying don't be generous. I'm saying this. Instead of buying gifts for people you don't always really know very well, what if you use that money to create an experience you could all enjoy? So instead of buying someone, something for someone you don't know very well, what if you create an experience where when you were together for the holidays, you were able to get to know them better? I, mean, I promise you that your nephews or um, your, you know, your relatives that you might run into over the holidays, that they, they're going to enjoy... They might enjoy, or it might be a more memorable experience for them to, to be taken to a local mall or to a coffee shop or to, to go get ice cream or hot chocolate, and it'd be like a treat, and that's, like, that's the experience, and you get to talk about life, and you get to catch up. Like, that would be more memorable for a lot of people than some thing that they don't really need and don't really want and that you can't really afford. So if you don't know someone well enough to get them something they would like or that, you know, but you still want to get them something... Do something with them that allows you to get to know them better. You can take or leave the advice. That's just my thoughts. Here's my last piece of advice. We'll move on. If you want to make gifts more meaningful, um, here's something you need to realize. Um, giving gifts is risky business every time. Whenever you give a gift, especially if it means something to you, it requires courage and boldness. Friends, there is something painfully vulnerable about giving someone a gift 
that means something, uh, that you hope will mean something to them, but means something to you. It's a risk. They might not get it. They might not like it. Um, it might bomb. Does, does anyone have a fear of that when they're giving gifts, that someone's just not going to like it? Am I the only one? There's a risk involved in gift giving. There really is. And friends, that's okay. I love risk. It's probably why I love gifts. Because you just don't know. So anytime we extend an honest gift to someone, we're engaging in an act of vulnerability. Which means to do it well, you're going to need boldness. You're going to need courage. We need to be willing to take the risk, and we need to be sure that we're not doing it just because, we're doing it because we want to do it. Like, I want to give you this, not because I need you to like it, because you don't have any control over that, do you? You can't control how someone responds to a gift, regardless of whether it's Christmas or whatever. So we need to ask ourselves, is this something I want to give, or is it something I'm giving because I want something from the other person, a particular reaction? I want to suggest that we give because we want to give. We don't give because... Um, we want some sort of reaction. We don't have control how someone receives it. So I think we can enjoy gift giving more when we realize that it's a risk. It's a gamble. Um, It's an act of faith. And I think if we recognize that and we own it and we just name it as that, um, I think it becomes more enjoyable. So this Christmas, um, we wanted to be bold. We want to take a risk. We want to do something that's meaningful, that has purpose. We don't know if people will like it, but we've got gifts for our neighbors. Um, We've prayed over them. Um, We're going to take them and deliver them on Tuesday. And in the card that we've written, it just says, uh, Alyssa talked about it briefly, but it says, in an often dark world, we pray that you can experience the light of Christ. This Christmas, we'll light a candle for you so you know you're always welcome here. We're thankful to have you as a neighbor and hope you have a very Merry Christmas, your neighbors at Central City Church. It's really simple, really intentional. We're crazy and fairly risky in a way especially if we knock on a few doors and they think we're crazy people and we have to explain we're not a cult. We're going to do that, but here's the challenge for you all today. We have today about uh, just as many gifts. These are all packaged. They've all been signed. They've all been you know, addressed, so to speak, and they're all ready to go. We've got a bunch more that are, that are open. The cards haven't been signed. They haven't been sealed. Uh, the packages haven't been taped. And here's the challenge that we want to give you today, to do something risky, something bold, something courageous. Maybe you have a neighbor or a couple neighbors or a coworker, or a friend. On your way out, they're going to be sitting on the table during the last song. We're going to get them out and lay them out so you'll be able to grab one on your way out or grab a couple if you want. We'd like to see them all gone. I challenge you to take it. And, and if you would, I would encourage you to make it personal. If you're giving to someone you know, put their favorite candy in there or write a note on the card or, you know, make it, make it you. But we would encourage you to take one of these really simple gifts, write something in there, write, you know, address the envelope, add some stuff to it, and give it to a neighbor, give it to a friend, give it to a coworker. And I'll be honest with you, on the card, on the back of the card, it has our service, you know, our services. Which, FYI, side note, on the screen it said our breakfast is starting at it's 10 a.m. Everything else is 10 a.m. This screen was just an old image, and it's not accurate. So just note that. What's in paper is accurate. We'll update it for next week. But that's the challenge. I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to lead us in our closing song. And I would, I would, enc- I would encourage you um, on your way out um, to grab a gift. Um, this is a great thing that you can do with your kids um, if you have them or with your small group of your friends. But think about somebody that you could just give this gift to, um, a candle that represents the light of Christ. 
um, and an invitation ultimately to join us for Christmas. Um, And so with that, let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the greatest gift of all and how risky that was for you. You gave, you loved the world so much that you gave us your son, knowing that full well that so many people just wouldn't be interested, yet you still gave. We're so grateful. Help us to live generous and risky lives as well. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with us?